How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Please be seated. Some years ago, when I was traveling in Belgium, I came to the old Catholic university town of Leuven and went into one of the oldest churches there. In the back of the church, I found a dragon. About my height, made of bright green papier-mâché, with sad eyes and drooping ears. Whoever had made it was clearly going for spaniel, rather than dragon. And the placard this person had put in front of it enjoined the viewer to feel sorry for the creature who so often is the target of the warriors of Christendom, St. Michael, St. George, and St. Margaret. Who are the real monsters? The artist was asking. Now, I can probably give anyone here a run for their money in my love of Guillermo del Toro-esque monster stories. But in this one case, I thought the artist was just completely wrong. Dragons in Christian art are not ordinary fantastic beasts. They always bleed over into and reference the dragon, the devil, described in our apocalypse reading for today. The devil is dangerous according to the apocalypse precisely because on one level he has already been defeated. He's already lost the war for heaven. It's only a matter of time now. And like a wounded and enraged animal, he is doing as much damage as he can. The warrior in this battle, we are told, is the angel Michael, whose feast day it is today, along with the rest of the heavenly host. Angelology is a glorious, but now mostly defunct field of Christian learning. A medieval science ridiculed by humanists before and during the Reformation. It was partly reliant on the mystical Neoplatonic hierarchies of the ancient writer we now call Pseudo Dionysius the Areopagite. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Partly, alas, it also required a Ptolemaic cosmology in which the Earth, the round Earth, sat at the center of the universe and the heavenly spheres under the governance of the angels and planets which spun around it. In this worldview, astrology made a certain kind of logical sense, as did learning as much about the angels as you could. The nine orders, according to Pseudo D, are, get ready for this, Seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. In this view, the world was not ordered according to bloodless abstractions or equations, but by living creatures of God who live to praise him. Dip even your toe into Kabbalah or other forms of Jewish or Islamic mysticism, and you will encounter these or similar. Before our reading from Revelation, in the Old Testament, Michael once made a brief appearance in the book of Daniel. Michael shows up amid apocalypse, in other words, in times of stress and crisis. 
famously during a plague year in the pontificate of Gregory the Great in the late 6th century, Gregory had a vision of the angel Michael sheathing his drawn sword over the city of Rome. The old fortress built by the Roman Emperor Hadrian was later christened the Castel Sant'Angelo, and the bridge to it and to the Vatican today is lined with Bernini's Baroque statues of angels. Angel Michael looks down on the city from the very top of the castle. Medieval Christians prayed to St. Michael for protection on a variety of fronts. Michael is the patron saint of an amazing number of things and people, from policemen to chemists to postal workers to young people. Right now, as students, you are in Michaelmas term. Most importantly, people look to Michael to guard their souls in death from those demons who would snatch it away. And so Michael became the saint venerated on many island sanctuaries and pilgrimage sites from which people prepared for the next world. Skellig Michael in Ireland, Mont Saint-Michel in France, St. Michael's Mount in Cornwall off the south coast of the UK. On a student recommendation all pandemic, I have been watching on YouTube back episodes of Time Team, a long-running British archaeological program. In an episode I watched recently, the team excavated a chapel dedicated to St. Michael on a tiny island off the coast of Cornwall. The monastery of Glastonbury, responsible for all things King Arthur in the Middle Ages, was trying to snaffle some of the pilgrimage traffic to St. Michael's Mount, which was just down the coast. On this tiny island, they built their own copycat franchise. In crisis, death, and overwhelm, we look to God's triumphant warrior who has already won the battle over evil. Okay, fine, you say, but we all know the medievals were superstitious people. What does this mean for us now that we're so much smarter and we have astrophysics instead of astrology and angelology? Isn't God's all, if God's all powerful, why do we need an angel Michael to defeat Satan? Isn't Michael all a bit too macho for us right now? Shouldn't we be feeling sorry for the dragon? These same medievals, I'd remind you, also envision the penitence and conversion of Judas. And there's a speculative tradition of Satan's eventual conversion that goes back to origin and the dawn of Christian theology. That's a door that is legitimately there for you to walk through should you choose that particular theological adventure and really decide to feel sorry for the dragon. But in crisis, in death, war, and disease, there comes a time when, like Elisha's disciple from our quiet day lesson last week or Nathaniel in the gospel reading today, we pray to have our eyes opened so that we may see the angels of God around us and know that we are not alone, even as we stand in the gateless gates of death. Maybe at that moment you prefer to think of yourself and God alone. Speaking for myself, I like Michael and his flaming sword. What the medievals most certainly did not believe is the heresy that of all the heresies to choose from in all of church history, you will probably encounter most often during your pastoral careers 
Unfortunately, most often in moments of grief and mourning when you would be cruel to disabuse people. Namely, the belief that when we die, we will all get halos and wings. Whatever happens to us when we die, no Christian theologian worth his salt or her salt has ever believed that we turn into angels. You want a heretic to hate? Forget Marcion, let's go after precious moments. thought there was a funny side to our Old Testament reading, actually, despite the fact that surely it is one of the most beautiful and lyrical passages in all of Genesis. Jacob, as per usual, <clears throat> is privy to some of the most intimate and gloriously transcendent visions of God in the entire Old Testament, even while he is up to his neck in his own and his family's personal dysfunction. I feel like there might be a moral in there somewhere. So this time, Jacob dreams, and the curtain is lifted, and for a moment, he sees the world fully as it is, the angels ascending and descending like God's ever-present tendrils of love and self-emptying, the angels reaching out constantly to all of creation, and creation reaching back in praise. And God gives Jacob a covenant and a promise that it will all be okay, and more than okay. And Jacob wakes up, and he looks at the rock he was using for a pillow, and the dusty hollow in which he has spent the night, and he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. You can almost hear nine choirs of angels smacking their heads in unison. Except that many centuries later, as we heard in our Old Testament reading from 2 Kings on Monday, one day God sent lions among the resettled people in Samaria. And the Assyrian king decided in an odd little footnote of a story to take a Jewish priest he had just marched off into exile and to send him back, of all places, to Jacob's Bethel, where he resumed worshiping the Lord. Whatever you may think about what the story was trying to say about the Samaritans, the place remained sacred to God and faithful to Jacob's ancient vision. We need there to be a place, this place, just like we need there to be real islands from which we can imagine the next world and dragons to show us the terror and horror of evil and violence in this world, and angels with flaming swords to defeat them and to help us cross over to what comes next. And we need reminders, too, that God's creation is more than just us humans, more than what we can immediately see, and that what we see of reality is actually a tiny fragment of the totality of the living things that is the cosmos praising God in his fullness. The angels are all around us all the time. But we start from this place. And so wherever we are, may our eyes be opened and may we realize how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven.